This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. And the speaker tonight is Joanne. Hi, I'm Joanne, I'm a food addict. Hi, Joanne. I'm good, it's a busy day because I haven't had a chance to think about anything that I was going to say. But... So I'm sorry if everybody's going to get very bored with my story. You've Everybody's heard it a number of times, and I did think about that. But I'm hoping that that there might be one person that this story gets to that gets some sense of hope that with all the struggling and suffering of what it's like to not be able to stop eating and think that we have to live this life forever, that it gives somebody a sense of hope that there is a solution and that things can be different. Before I came here, um, what I remember about my whole life from a little girl from the age of like kindergarten was um, a girl that felt very, very different in her family. I felt like I never belonged. I was shy and scared. I was too scared to go to kindergarten. I'd hold my breath, I'd pass out, I'd wet my knickers because I was passed out so much. I was um, jealous, very, very jealous of my younger sister. Not that I would have known that, but I know that, like, as an adult, the behaviours changed when my mother brought home my younger sister. And whether or not that's got anything to do with having this disease, or whether it's just actually what a you know, a small child does, don't know. But I made it very, very hard work for my mother. They also had two older children, I've got two older sisters, to look after. And so right from an early age, I felt very, very different. Attention seeker is what I was. You know, I wanted all the attention. I didn't want it to go to anybody else. Um, my mother dressed me in pants, I wanted a dress. If she dressed me in a dress, I wanted pants. If she had anything on, I'd pull them off. Pom-poms off. I, God, I was just absolutely such an awful, awful child. I, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD or something else. I um, cut the cat's whiskers, I hairsprayed it, I cut the side of my mum's new couch, I smoked up in the, thinking loft up in the, um, smoked under the bed, anything that I could do, I would do. And my mum never really knew I was the problem child, I'd say. And that's before I even, it wasn't during that age or like through primary school that I ever thought that I had a problem with food. It was more than I, but I did through primary school have a problem with my body and how I felt within myself. So I can remember feeling like that and I can remember feeling that I was fat and overweight and I look back at those photos and I might have been a little bit chubby in some of those photos but I certainly didn't look a lot different to the other children in those photos. So I felt big from, from an early age and then when I started high school, I was very, very self-conscious. 
conscious of, you know, body weight and um, people wouldn't have seen me as shy then. Like I kind of have been a bit loud, smart, try and prep joke, you know, try and be a bit funny, but I probably wasn't. Um, but I was shy around boys and um, my first boyfriend, which I was with for a long time, Jacob's father. Um, the only way that I went out with, with him was I had to be drunk first. So I had to, to feel comfortable in myself before I even thought food was a problem. I started drinking and I think I was 14 when I started going out with him. And I was already, I'd already started drinking at that time and I was smoking pot. And when I met him, um, his neighbour, who owned the burger bars in Belfast and Marty's in Papanui, um, if anybody knows those, they were quite popular and they made very good hamburgers. Um, they were always out at work, so they were long hours, so it was always the parties next door, you know, at 14, and we're all having, you know, parties all the time because there's no parents there. So we're all having parties and girls and boys and none. Um, and I was feeling very different then. And I remember it was around that time that I lost quite a, like a bit of weight. And I've, like I've shared before, going into Topshop, and it was the jeans, the baggies, it was called the baggies, and going into that shop and taking a pair of jeans off the rack and taking them back into the changing room. And I don't know what size I got, but they were way too big. I think it was probably around about a 16 or something. And the lady looked at me, because I put them on, and I thought, what's happened here? Because I would have, in the mirror, seen myself with really huge hips and big backside. And she bought in a pair of jeans, which were size 9. And I looked at those, these tiny little jeans, and I looked at those, and they were loose around the top, straights they were then and I could not comprehend how I was a size 9 when I actually thought that I was huge like a size you know, 16 or 18 so I was always like that and I wanted to be thin but I couldn't stop myself from eating to start putting on weight so I would have been small but then I would have gradually put on weight and as time went on, anything that I ate, I always felt guilt about it, you know, and it, even if it had just been a normal meal what other people ate, I had a lot of guilt around it because I thought that I, would put, that I had put on so much weight. And, you know, as the years went on, I didn't know then that it was the disease progressing in me, but I got worse the anger got worse in me. And I think a lot of the anger was just not knowing what was wrong and trying to work out why I felt the way that I did and not having any solution for it. You know, I would wake up feeling so angry and I'd be living at home and I'd wake up, you know, and people would try and stay out of my way because they would be scared. I was awful to people 
my youngest sister, I bullied her terribly. Um, I'd give her hidings, get her on the ground and punch her and give her hidings and break my toe a number of times from kicking her. <laughs> and um, because I thought she deserved it because she annoyed me. And she would not have been doing anything wrong except she was skinny. My oldest sister and my youngest sister were skinny, and myself and my next sister were called the chubby ones. And there was a lot of a lot of fighting between these four girls, my poor mum. And so I bullied her and took a lot of my anger out on her. And um, you know, as as time went on, nothing nothing changed. And things just got worse. Um, By the time I was 20, I was still with that boy, that boy that I met when I was 14. Still with him, and I was living. I was over in Australia, living over there. Came back for a, just a bit of a holiday over back over to New Zealand, and I was going to the pub with all my friends. All my friends were always at the pub. They always drinking. My best friend was. Um, she was always smoking pot, popping pills. She was a local dealer in Kaipoi. We used to go and I'm gonna drive down to Spencer Park, Spencerville. I went down there last weekend. Driving down there and I thought, how could I have ever gone with her to pick up all those pills that used to bounce under the seat in the pot? How did I ever feel like comfortable or think that that was okay? Because when I was driving down there, I was thinking, oh my gosh. I don't, I don't know how I did that because I actually had a conscience and was scared about things like that. So I just, I don't know how I, how I did that. But they were, that was the group that I hung around with. I didn't, I had one friend that wasn't like that, but all my other friends were, were like that. And it was kind of just, a lot of people probably just teenage years that they were not going to the pub, probably not going and getting pills and pot and so on. But, um, and. So, all, so my friends were like that, and I came back and I was doing that, and then I, and I found out I was pregnant. And I was 18 weeks pregnant when I found out. And um, from the moment that I found out that I was pregnant, I didn't touch a drink or a pill or any, any drugs. I stopped drinking coffee, I had absolutely nothing, and the food just went you know, it just completely went off where I could not stop eating. And I went back over to Australia and um, you know, started going for checkups and everything and I'd go and I'd weigh in and I hated being weighed. And um, because of the way that I was eating, and I think it had a big part to why I had my first son at 30 weeks, you know, preeclampsia, and that's it's it is diet related, um, and plus other things, but that's part of it. And I was just like a, a balloon, you know, my kidneys had shut down, I was having heart failure, I was, it was like really not, it, it was awful. And um, the doctors would come around and look at what I had ordered. You know, they'd have quite good meals that you could order there at the hospital, but I didn't eat vegetables or fruit or anything like that. I just ate rubbish, you know. I, you know, I never had 
I hated fruit, I hated vegetables. I don't really know what I had, but it would have just been, you know, rubbishy food. And I remember it was humiliating because they lift up the lid and they looked and they just put it down. And, um, you know, they had told me through that pregnancy to eat healthy, but I couldn't, you know. And I, you know, left that hospital and left him in there, left, left Jacob in there and went home. He was in there for two and a half months. And I could not stop eating like I knew. I tried, but I couldn't. And that was kind of my life with food thereafter. You know, it was um, just a constant battle. And then the, um, the feeling, you know, that self-conscious with weight and on the scales and off the scales and just hating myself, really. Just absolutely hating myself. And, you know, coming back to New Zealand um, and things getting worse and that relationship ending and... You know, then I went into another relationship, you know, not long after that. I think I was probably didn't like being by myself, really. I don't know, but I think that's probably what, what it really was, because both of those relationships, I mean, you know, but then the more like teen relationship, but, and then, you know, I met, you know, my other boy's father. But I didn't have those feelings. I, 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 ended up in, in a relationship that really, just because I did really, you know, I didn't know that, that I kind of like, I, I know now because I know what, what I felt like, but that relationship just went, went on and, you know, through that relationship, you know, I started having a lot of counselling because I was just so angry and I was treating people really badly around me and I was treating my children poorly as well, I was um, yelling at them and smacking them and um, having tantrums way, way um, more severe than what they were having and by the time I came in here to the fellowship I was, um, you know, I had four, four children um, and I think my youngest, well he wasn't very old. So I, I came in here through the, into the fellowship through um, when my youngest was two and I had a nine-year-old and a two-year-old, and when I started going to counselling um, for my behaviour and thinking that was related to my, my to my father, because he was an alcoholic, and I thought that the reason why I was the way I was is, you know, it's it's his fault. If he had wanted us, he would have stopped drinking. It's all because of him. And you know, I God, I hated seeing my father that way. Not the drinking. Didn't like seeing him drinking, but I hated and felt so sad to see my father looking so lonely and as if he had no friends in the world and such a shy, shy man. I hated seeing him like that. And I used to wish that he would die just so that he wasn't suffering because I, I was young, but I could see him suffering. My whole life I've seen him suffering. And I didn't know that I had the same thing. And it wasn't until I came here that Leone actually shared about this being a disease of loneliness and as soon as she said that, I related it to me and I related it to him. And when I went up to um, Starbucks counselling and I, and I went up to him, up to Queen Mary as a family member, that's the first time I started hearing people share about addiction and alcoholism and um, although I was there as a family member, I related to every single thing that those people shared.
um, are related to the people in the Eleanor meetings as well, but not so much as for myself as what I did with the other edits there. And I kind of, when I came out of there, and I learned in there about OA, but when I came out of there and I learned about, um, and I was going to Eleanor, um, I remembered what a girl had said to me about her problem with food. And even then, when she talked to me about her problem with food, I never even thought that was me. She only mentioned a little bit, but I remembered the fellowship that she talked about. But I was sneaking food inside a newspaper back to my bedroom. I was hating eating in front of people. Um, I was pregnant and about 30 weeks pregnant. And I thought I should have been losing weight. And I never thought that was weird thinking. I thought I'd lose weight because somebody would be controlling my food. I thought I shouldn't have seconds, I shouldn't eat anything else, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with my thinking because I always thought like that. I mean, God, who thinks it's okay to lose weight when you're pregnant? So, you know, when I when I left and I went to and had that baby and I was going to Eleanor, there was still something missing. You know, like I still knew that something was not quite right, I wasn't getting better and I could see things falling around. I wanted to be a good mum. So I probably wanted to be a good wife. Well, I probably didn't want to be a good wife. Because what, what Wayne wanted was just a happy family. But actually he was never going to have a happy family with the way that I was. You know? And um, so when I realised that nothing was going to change, something reminded me of this girl and I was, can remember standing in front of a mirror. I was looking in that mirror, I was covered in psoriasis. I had the baby so I mean I was big and feeling uglier than normal and um, I rang the number for that 12 step fellowship and two people came and seen me and when I came into those rooms and heard other people sharing about their experience and what they were like. Not only with the eating, but all those feelings around the loneliness, the anger, um, the moods, the behaviour towards others. I knew that that's the gap that I was feeling. It was there, you know, there in those rooms. And I wanted, I wanted more than anything to be able to stop eating and to start getting well. And I went home and I was very, very excited. I cried, I was so excited. I couldn't sleep. And um, you know, I started going, to, go, started going to the meetings. I was only going, I started actually only going to one meeting because I didn't know that people went to lots of meetings. I started going to one meeting and then very quickly I learned that actually people go to more meetings um, one person said to me, when she seen me at an extra meeting, she says, oh, you might get well. And she's not here now. But um, I started going to more meetings, and I got a sponsor, and I started trying to do everything that was suggested and what I heard other people doing. I was down on my knees praying every morning. I was writing out a food plan. I was ringing ringing more when I wasn't eating because I could not stay on a food plan. Like I had that obsession, that craving was 
so powerful that I would get through the morning and afternoon would come, just ring one at a time, and the afternoon would come and I would be eating. I just could not get through a whole day. And that went on for two years. You know, I had a very small period where I wasn't eating, but for two years I could not stop eating. You know, I come into meetings and I'd see other people that would come in after me and they had, you know, God had removed their obsession to eat, but not with me. You know, I just come in and I'd be humiliated and not want to say that I'd been eating and you know, I'd cry leaving these meetings and I'd go to McDonald's and I'd get all the flavoured sundaes because I couldn't decide which one I want. I mean, I only used to have one flavour before I came here, but by the time I was here, four flavours, had them all, couldn't decide what burgers, got a few, <laughs> eat them on the way home, sit down the road of my street, sit there and eating them, get the rubbish and put it in the bin and drive home and feel so guilty and hope that it was not around my mouth and I would go and make the lunches because I've done the baking and then I'd start eating the baking. It was just my life every day and the other people were stopped eating it and it's just, I think it's even worse coming to meetings and, and knowing that the answer's there but actually I'm not going to get it, you know. And Kay always talked about thinking that she was one of those poor unfortunates and that's exactly what I felt like. A poor unfortunate that just could not give up this life. And I didn't know how to give up that life or, or because I was praying and, and I know God was the only one that could remove that obsession to eat, but yet he wasn't doing it for me. And, you know, I rang my sponsor and, you know, she would always talk to me, give me all the time in the world and always talk to me and keep saying to me, keep doing what you're doing, it's a gift. And like her, I didn't know what that meant. But I always, still, even though I was eating, after I talked to her on the phone, I still got a little glimmer again, you know, just because I've seen it working. And, you know, I did my, my fourth step with the hope that that would um, stop me eating, but it didn't. You know, I had another baby, and I thought, surely I'm going to stop eating through that pregnancy. But I didn't, you know, it wasn't until that baby was six weeks old that that was the last time. And he's 18, 19 in March now, but um, I don't know what was different on that day. But I remember the day, you know, 18 years ago, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I can see the bench, I can see the food, I can feel what it felt like to want that food. I can hear the, pe the children in the background. As, in, as if in tunnel vision, you know, that they're just echoing in the back and I have that obsession and I want to eat and I'm crying because I don't want to eat it but yet everything inside me wants it. And somehow I didn't eat that food. I, I don't know how. I didn't eat that food and I rung somebody and I can't remember if it was my sponsor or if it was somebody else. I can't remember who I rung. But I never had that craving after that. It was gone. Like, absolutely gone. I mean, that is totally amazing. It is a, you know, it is a miracle to have that want to eat all the time, like every minute of the day, because it got to every minute of the day. From the time I woke up, I was battling that obsession and calorie counting and 
exercising and every step I took, I thought, good, I'm burning off those calories. All of that, every day, to gone, removed. You know, that's absolutely not me. Not through all the willpower in the world could I have stopped that thinking. So, I mean, I don't, don't have any doubt that that is my high power working for me. And for some reason, it was on that day, and he chose to remove. And if I didn't have that experience, then I certainly wouldn't have that experience for others that have come in after me that keep on eating. Other people did have that experience, and I'm grateful for that, because if I had come into the fellowship and everybody came in and they got up the minute that they sat on those seats, I would think something was... I would still think something was seriously wrong with me. Today I actually don't think something is seriously wrong with me. I don't think I'm schizophrenic. I don't think that it's because I'm Gemini. Um, like, I don't think that I'm manic. What I know is that I have this disease of addiction. And all of those behaviours and all of those number fours that I love and had to do number fours on the right, the left, the bottom, the top, gone. Don't care if I step on, step on a crack, because if I step on a crack, I've got to step on every single crack. All of those behaviours are gone. Take me to a psychiatrist and I talk like that, I'd be locked up. But you sit here and you say things and people nod because they know. All of those behaviours are just characteristics of this disease. So I don't have a number of things that are wrong with me. You know, and one thing that's wrong with me is that I am an addict. Food, alcohol, drugs, garrison, coffee, any single thing that I think I might like, I'm in trouble. You know, so, I love my husband, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We probably all do, don't we? There's no nods. <laughs> but no, and so I'm just really, really grateful. And I'm just grateful for all of that to have a normal life and to be feeling okay and happy and not depressed and have that sense of doom that I thought was never, ever going to leave. So it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you.